Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast today. We pay our respect to the elders of all of the lands on which we meet across Australia. Hello listeners, welcome to Freedom of Species, the radio show that brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. Before us with Sally with her show Out of the Pen, discussing all issues queer. Make sure to listen to her every week at noon on Sundays. My name is Davita and I'd like to personally acknowledge that we are broadcasting from the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. I keep in mind my complicity in persistent colonization as a Western visitor to this land. I am here today with Trev. Hey everyone. Um, I'd also like to acknowledge that we are on stolen land of the Rundry people and pay respects to elders past and present. And I guess just to keep in mind what we can do to try and resist the ongoing colonization and genocide. Some of the things that come to mind recently is the ongoing black deaths in custody that there's still been more in the last couple of months, um, which has been really devastating to hear. And also the the current burn-offs that are planned in uh, well Gunai Kurnai country, which is around Gippsland. If any of our listeners want to get along and try and help at protests to try and stop the burning of Indigenous land, that would be good. And I think that's um, what we should be trying to do when we can. Yeah. And Trev, wasn't Nick supposed to be here with us who, to run the desk? Where uh, is Nick? Is is he, is he, are we, are we even live? Is my mic on? <laughs> is my mic on? Nick, where check? are you? <laughs> That's a joke, of course, because this is the first time that Trev and I will be running this show on our own um, as your two co-hosts. Um, and anytime, please contact us for comments, questions and recommendations. You can find us on Twitter at FOS Radio or email at, as freedomofspecies at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook as Freedom of Species. So please reach out to, to us because we, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. And this is also the reason that we will be conducting a survey how Freedom of Species can serve the activist community better in Melbourne. So keep an eye out for our channels, probably Facebook and Twitter, where we are sharing the online survey. Yeah. Today's show will include discussions about the Animal Liberation Front, the group who conducted many direct actions for animals. And we are joined today by a very special speaker. Trev and I will interview Kevin Heller from the Netherlands, who was a former spokesperson for the Animal Liberation Front in Belgium and the Netherlands. Kevin, thank you for joining us today. Hi. Hi, everybody. We're really happy to have you and we're excited for the, yeah, for the discussion we will be having. It's good to be here. Cool. It's good to have you here. Yeah. So, Kevin, before we get into all the animal liberation front stuff could you tell us a bit more about yourself um how you got involved as a vegan and an activist um well it's been quite a while actually um i think i became vegan in 1997 or 1998 um when i was part of the uh squat movement in the in the netherlands um sorry what was that the squat movement the squatting movement uh, oh, squat movement yes so we uh, we squatted empty houses or uh, uh, bigger buildings that were uh, left empty by uh, big companies so we could live in them. Um, there were these uh, communal kitchens we had uh, where everybody could come to get some free food or food for like five guilders in those days. Um, and that was always vegan. And that actually introduced me to vegan food. I was already a vegetarian, but then I uh, turned vegan pretty quickly. Cool. And it was actually sort of a uh, natural transition to go into 
activism on other fronts as well. So not just squatting, but also anti-fascism and animal rights was mm. just part of the whole movement. Yeah, and we'll be we'll be getting into that. Before, I'd also, also, I also like to ask the question um, if there was a specific animal throughout your years of animal activism that left an impression on you. And this is one of the things, you know, we're, as we're always talking about people, even though we're doing animal activism or animal advocacy. But this, I'd like to hear a bit more also about animals, like were there specific animals? Well, there was one um, monkey in Oxford that really... Um, stuck with me she was uh a baby whose eyes were shut and they they sewed her eyes shut and they let her um hug an electric pole and she would get shocks every time she thought she was hugging her mother mm. um she it was sort of like a very weird psych psychology experiment on uh rejection by the mother mm. and um so she was liberated and she yeah. was then uh like her of course operated on and and she was uh, back to normal again later but that left a real impression yeah wow this is this is really heartbreaking and but uh, they were able to operate and um restore her sight and back to normal you said yeah yeah she's she's all right wow. now or well, i don't know if wow. she's still alive by the way but because this is quite some yeah. time yeah. ago yeah but uh yeah this is intense and this is the reason why, you know, this is why so many people are motivated to advocate for animals because, um, yeah, luckily these mm. type of ex experiments might be um, less usual now, like less frequent, mm. um, but they have been, well. Don't even know. If I'm not sure because definitely psychology departments tend to uh, experiment on primates a lot uh, and they think of really horrible experiments so mm. i think that's still an ongoing thing mm. yeah. yeah moving on to the the animal liberation front well, before that i did have one little quick question mm. on um i was just wondering kevin when you said that you were obviously aware of other issues not just animal rights and veganism had you done activism before you went vegan at all um only for a short while it was really quickly mm. that I, I switched to total activist, basically, uh, as an anarchist. I was part of the anarchist movement, and being part of the anarchist movement just meant being anti-fascist, but also meant being animal rights activist. That was just a given. It wasn't even in question. Mm. Wow. And um, the Animal Liberation Front, could you tell us a bit more? What was it like? What, what happened? What did they do? Well, I was part of the support group for the Animal Liberation Front. Mm -hmm. It's a legal thing there, I have to say. Um, so the Animal Liberation Front was quite old already in the Netherlands. Uh, I think their mm. first action was in the 1980s, 1981, 1982, something like that. Um, liberating mink from mink farms or um, liberating dogs from uh, uh, test labs things like that it's it's sort of, um it switched in the 1990s to a bit more of sabotage so burning down meat trucks um burning down chicken farms when the chickens weren't there uh and basically destroying the infrastructure of an animal test center mm. things like that mm. yeah and that, that you've got the animal liberation front but you mentioned you were part of the animal liberation support group Animal Liberation Front support group. Could you tell me what, what distinguished it from the Animal Liberation Front? Well, it was a construction of, uh, like the ALF would do an action, and I would not know who these people were, but they would send uh, their hit report to a anonymous PO box. Uh, I would then receive these messages and, and bring them out into the world, like uh, contact the press or... Uh, just send them to newspapers and uh, that way it was a legal way of making sure that if the cops ever came to my door that I would not be able to tell who the people were who had done the hit on mm. a certain farm or whatever. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Keeping it at arm's distance. Yeah. It kept yeah. me safe and it kept them safe. Yeah. Yeah. 
while getting the message out. Yeah. While getting the message out. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And how did people respond? To be honest, there was always this weird um, double wave. Like I, I expected a lot of um, resistance to it, but the resistance was more from uh, the a farm community, the the right wing. Um, but you, there, there was a very large part of the uh, um, population that actually supported us. Also, a very large part of the working class would uh, like see me at, at, at a supermarket or anything and just come up to me and say like, hey, I have two dogs. If ever, anybody ever touches my dogs, I'll, I'll, I'll kill them. So if you need any, <laughs> any help, uh, just give us a call. And mm -hmm. I, I've got got so many messages and cards from old ladies from uh, resting homes who said like, what the ALF is doing is is really is really good. And uh, so it was a very broad section of the uh, population that was actually supportive. Can I ask? Um, being, I think you said you were a spokesperson for the support group. Was it? Yes. Yes. Um, did that ever make you feel like more of a target, or did you get more? Yeah, just more negative attention as well as the positive attention. Um, well, yes, I was a big target for the uh, neo-Nazi movement. Uh, I was put on uh, several websites on like uh, a hit list of uh, people who needed to be uh, taken care of. Um, and I was, of course, targeted by the government, uh, police and uh, intelligence agencies who thought I was a doorway to getting to information about um, the underground movement. Right. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, you mentioned, um, so in your story, there's already the also the anti-fascist um, yeah, part of being an animal activist. Um, could you tell us a bit more about what people, um, what people, maybe ALF or the ALF support group attracted? Like, what was the scene? How did, who got involved and for what reasons? I think the large part was the, the, the slogan, uh, human liberation, animal rights, one struggle, one fight. Mm. Um, mm. So there was this whole idea of justice for all, justice for everyone. And that included non-human uh, beings as well. So it was an anti-fascism with a bit of a extra add-on, I think. Uh, it's what attracted a lot of anti-fascists and a lot of animal rights activists who were just animal rights uh, were not part of the anti-fascist movement. So there was a there's a there were two different animal rights movements, and I was part of the anti-fascist animal rights movement. So what was the other group like? The other group were like single issue, right? Just animal rights. And yeah. um, they would even attract some Nazis or uh, very right-wing people um, because Hitler was a vegan or whatever. That's what they thought. Mm -hmm. And they would they they would say like, we don't have any politics on our uh, demos, so we don't care who who shows up, just as long as people show up. Yeah, that's something we were against. Yeah, we still get that even locally here in Nam, so-called Melbourne. Um, over the last few years, it's um, a similar sort of division in in the animal liberation community. That's for sure. Mm. Mm. Um, I was just going to ask you though, like, what was the like? What did your vibe, or what did you get a vibe of the ratio or the split the split in that division? Was it fifty fifty, or was one a overwhelming majority than the other? Um, I think we were uh, the majority for a long time. Um, oh wow until the party for the animals which is a political parliamentary party showed up um and that attracted a lot of people who were animal rights uh associated but not activists mm. and that made the animal rights movement that was sort of non-political even though it's parliamentary politics uh, a bit more uh attractive for regular people to join in but for a long time, we were the bigger, um, yeah, the bigger group. We would have 300, 400 people come to a demo. And that's a lot for for the Netherlands. Yeah. Could we, before, um, could we specify 
the years. Um, I think we haven't done that. Like, what what time are we talking about now? Back in the dark ages. Uh, <laughs> so, so this is 1998 until 2003, maybe 2007 max. Let's just say that. Mm. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's so good to know. Decade, Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so Kevin, before you were saying um, that, like with the political party that, that sort of got involved or started up and that affected the the scene. Um, did it seem like a watering down of the, I guess, the values or the, the, the ideology of, of animal liberation or did it just seem like it was encompassing people with different views, even, even with bigoted views and just being more of that single issue focus or like, do you see those as the same thing? I'm not, I was just interested what you thought. I was sort of pulled in two directions on this subject because uh, I was happy that it was becoming more of a mainstream subject, animal rights, and that mm. finally there was actually a party in the parliament that would be able to talk about animal rights. It did, however, water down the initial um, broad movement of anti-fascism, anti-capitalism. Um, those things were just cut out yeah. and it became a total single issue uh subject that was that, that was a sad part of it mm. do you think those things are like inextricably linked do you think there's a way to somehow do one but not the other like have the the more or slightly more opening up to a mainstream appeal but keeping in line with that i guess consistent anti-oppression or total you know liberation mindset i think it's possible but i don't think it's possible in the netherlands where I'm from. <laughs> so I think that would That's be sad. more of a German thing, uh, oh, yeah. uh, where anti-fascism is way more uh, socially accepted. Mm. Uh, it's more mainstream. Here in the Netherlands, anti-fascism is not a thing, and it's quite a right-wing country. So mm. animal rights can actually... Um, it, it's, it's almost non-political, so it, it attracts both sides, mm. and that kind of uh, makes that any other subject is not really invited into discussions or uh, policy. Yeah, that's so interesting. I'm not sure how much you know, Kevin, but I think a lot of our listeners, because I'm as you're talking about this, I'm seeing a lot of parallels with what's happening locally in so-called Australia and um, and the animal liberation movement. It just has exactly as you say progress down that line of getting more and more mainstream like i wouldn't say it's mainstream but you know it's getting more and more attention but as that happens it's becoming more and more single issue focused and anything that is considered to be not relevant enough to animal liberation is just considered to be a distraction and a waste of time which includes sexism racism like transphobia all, all that sort of stuff yeah that sounds familiar also for the time that i was in england um where the idea was, yeah, we're all uh, feminists, we're all anti-fascist, but animal rights is our main uh, subject, so we're just going to ignore everything else. Mm. So that was a bit different than what it is in the Netherlands, where the Netherlands is really, they don't even talk about anti-fascism or feminism. It's just animal <laughs> rights. They don't mm, even yeah. think about the subjects. Mm. Speaking of... Um anti-fascism kevin do you want to introduce your first song oh i do it's uh it's uh, one of my favorite bands uh, oi poloi uh, with their song uh, on the streets it's about anti-fascism all right and it's is there a particular reason you chose this song it encompasses my feeling about anti-fascism basically <laughs> <laughs> you'll you'll hear this is where you get to sing the song yeah yeah <laughs>
170 innocent refugees are still being indefinitely detained in detention centres and secure hotels around Australia. Over recent months, many fellow detainees have been released onto bridging visas. Those remaining are desperate to know why they are still held. It is indefinite, it is cruel, and it is unlawful. Every day, a group of supporters protest this brutality outside the Park Hotel at 701 Swanson Street, Melbourne, where 11 men remain trapped and whose hopes are fading and whose mental health is declining. The aim of the protests is to raise awareness of the situation for the general public, but also to show support and solidarity to the men inside. It is also for the approximately 200 refugees still held offshore. Please come along any weeknight at 6pm or weekend at 3pm. Able-bodied Australia does not realise that people with disabilities across the board are being discriminated against. Then the government to demand that we go out and get a job without removing the disincentives like the lack of access to transport and community infrastructure, without providing accessible buildings that can provide barrier-free employment. I'm not getting a fair go and I don't like it and I'm saying so. You're listening to 3CR, 855 on the AM dial. Yeah, you're listening to 3CR, Freedom of Species. Um, we've got Kevin from the Netherlands with us. Um, and yeah, that was one of your favourite songs, Kevin. Yeah, I was on the streets, uh, Oi Poloi. They're my favourite band, uh, I think. Um, yeah, I really liked it. It's a great song. And it only came out, was it last year or the year before? Yeah, but Oi Poloi is like, they're they're like a very old band already and they're all vegan and they're all ruffians, like they're all hooligans and uh, vegan, anti-fascist, feminist hooligans. So, uh, yeah, they're my kind of people. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking about Animal Liberation Front um, and before our listeners, Kevin, could you explain what sort of strategies did they employ to liberate animals. Well, you have to remember this is in the days before electronic surveillance was uh, a thing. So strategies was simply go out at night, dressed in black, uh, cut a fence, uh, put animals in a bag and uh, run away basically <laughs> and make sure that they get a good home, um, that they're checked uh, uh, by, by a doctor or veterinarian and uh, then sent to uh, homes uh, or to a sanctuary somewhere else. And then uh, they hit report to get sent out. Mm. Outside of the, um, I guess, that direct activism, was there, was there much thought or was there much discussion about the ways to present it to the public or like to try and get media attention in terms of strategies that way or like trying to control the narrative of how it might be spun in the media? The No, there wasn't a lot of um, thought about how the media would spin it because they would always spin it in a negative way no matter what. So I think that was the strength of the Animal Liberation Front that they didn't care about um, marketing they just did what they did and uh even like burning down trucks uh meat trucks and stuff that this would be portrayed as super violent in the media even if like nobody got hurt and it was <laughs> mm -hmm. just one truck in the middle of a empty parking lot it would still like oh no hundreds of people could have died uh so <laughs> yeah. there's there was like the animal liberation for just basically ignored that and said okay this is the hit report and if that scares farmers and if that scares mink farmers and uh, animal test center uh, employees, sure, why not? You know, if, if the media puts a scare on it, mm. um, that could be beneficial for our, uh, well, goals, basically. Mm. But at the same time, it, it invites, um, yeah, it, it, it invites also questions about the illegality of the, these actions, because Obviously, it might have been framed also as a, a property damage, um, which might have, uh, yeah, which is illegal. I'm keen to hear, like, how did people cope with the illegality of these actions? Of the act Yeah, how did the activists cope with that? Well, you have to remember that uh, a lot of these activists, I think, I presume, I don't know them, of course, 
um, that they all came from uh, the squad scene, the anarchist scene, mm -hmm. where the idea of uh, property is theft um, was already uh, very uh, prevalent. And yeah, property damage was not something that we really cared about. Um, mm. Just as long as nobody and no animal got hurt, like no humans and no animals are supposed to get hurt during these actions, then everything was fine. And if what the law calls it illegal was not very interesting because, you know, slavery was legal for a long time. Um, mm -hmm. it, laws change. Yeah. These things, yeah, things change, laws change. And uh, things that are legal or today are illegal 20 years later. So yeah. like mink farming has now been totally made illegal in the Netherlands. So mm. it, it was just, uh, we didn't really care about legal or illegal. Is this called sabotaging or um, destruction or what, 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 what other strategies were there? Were well, there? there was sabotage and there was, um, we just have to call it intimidation. Mm. Uh, so burning down people's cars, uh, throwing a brick through somebody's uh, living room uh, window. Um, Ray painting houses saying you're an animal killer, uh, mm. like especially for workers from animal test centers, they were targeted at their uh, private residences. Mm. So there was an intimidation tactic as, as well. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And were there specific campaigns towards particular um, centers or? Well, there's one big uh, uh, primate test center called the BPRC, the Biomedical Primate Research Center in uh, The Hague. Which um, is in the Netherlands, was, yeah. It, which is in the Netherlands, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, that was targeted for, with a, with a very large campaign for years, like a legal uh, above ground campaign and an illegal underground campaign as well. Mm. So th there would be banners, there would be protests outside. And other nights there would be sabotage uh, missions, so it it was a. Can I ask? Yeah, of course. Were those two sort of, um, I guess, branches of the campaign? Um, do you know if there was some cooperation between them to sort of, or were they just more independent? And some people were doing the illegal stuff whenever they wanted and whenever they thought was best, and the other people were doing the more mainstream, acceptable things like holding signs and marches and and things like that. I think I think the second one, like people were just more um, inclined to do what they felt comfortable with. So there's a whole group who were just comfortable with standing outside with banners. And there was people mm. who were comfortable with doing illegal stuff and um, tolerated each other, supported each other in, in the actions. Um, of course, the illegal actions had a had repercussions for the legal actions as well because everybody was seen as part of one group mm. so all the legal protests were um, banned by the police and uh, arrests were made constantly uh, and in very violent manners as well so uh, to repress the illegal actions they they and they couldn't get to the illegal activists so they stepped on the legal activists basically yeah and did that cause like some pushback from those more i guess the people that were doing the legal actions and that maybe that was their personally favorable strategy. Did they, yeah, were they getting annoyed and upset visibly or were there discussions happening about that? No, absolutely not. Uh, even when 12 mm. of the illegal activists were uh, arrested during a, a raid at a night, uh, one night, um, they all got fined like 20,000 euros per person. Um, uh, there was a large above ground movement to make sure they could pay their fines. Oh, wow. So support mm -hmm. the BPRC 12 was like a very big campaign. So people were more uh, angry at the police for attacking the, 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 the above ground protests. Mm. Mm. That's really interesting. Yeah, I think that is a little bit of a difference with where we're at now because I think with the current sort of animal liberation scene, at least locally, in so-called Australia and Nam here in so-called Melbourne, it's um, there is a lot more of the you know people saying that they're ruining it for another group or that their actions are going to spill over and these discussions are happening sort of under the table like they're, they're fairly public but it's not really in the media public so so non-vegans wouldn't really hear about it but vegans and activists would definitely hear about these discussions of 
of what's the best strategy and what are the domino effects of if, if something someone does is going to make it worse for another group or harder or more difficult for them to achieve their campaign goal, that sort of thing? I think in the Netherlands it was, uh, especially even with the Party of the Animals, uh, which is a parliamentary, very mainstream party, they knew that they could use the illegal underground actions in their own strategies, uh, as in, um, look, you better have discussions with us and uh, talk to us <laughs> because otherwise you're going to have to deal with them. Um, mm. So, yeah, it, it, it forced politicians towards the party for the animals because at least with these people, we can talk, we can sit on yeah. the table and yeah. They were the reasonable alternative to whatever yeah. we were, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you feel like a reasonable alternative, Trev? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. I always wow. joke that I put the fun in fundamentalism. Yeah. Was, uh, <laughs> like discussion panels with the party of the animals and other people. So. <laughs> well, um, The other thing we wanted to ask you was, um, what do you know about the current situation? I mean, I know that you've stepped back from activism, but um, maybe you could say a little bit about what caused you to take a step back and then what are you currently aware of, of where things are at and happening right now? Well, first of all, what caused me to step back was a combination of things that um, years of uh, threats by neo-Nazi movements uh doesn't really ha help with your mental uh, <laughs> stability. Um, also, the constant harassment by police and intelligence services who also uh, harass my family. They would track me. They would listen to my phone calls. They would uh, come to my house. I got some illegal um, well, uh, court cases against me that were just made up. Mm. So it was kind of a, a mixed bag of, of frustration and harassment that kind of made me step back mm. uh, from activism after, uh, after a while. Um, so I did lose contact with the movement, but the movement is now very uh, mainstream and it is fully focused on animal rights and not, it's not a, uh, very broad movement anymore it, after the uh squatting uh, squatting was made illegal in the netherlands and that destroyed the squat movement yeah. and that also destroyed the broader anti-fascist anarchist movement that's sad yeah 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 and that's had a flow-on effect into animal liberation movement as it is now yeah so now it's just animal rights uh activism with people standing outside of places with banners and, and that single issue focus that you were talking about yep. before yep, totally mm -hmm. hmm. and is the alf still active or do you hear about that at all the alf is not active at all no i think um since the introduction of the electronic surveillance state it's become rather hard for alf activists to do their thing Uh, there's just no way to move around without being maybe spotted by AMPR cameras or they track your phones, they track your computers. It's, it's, you can't pay with cash in a lot of pace, places anymore. So um, this has really killed off the ALF. But it's, um, I guess, the Antifa scene and the, the anarchist scene would still be, still be continuing and still, be, still have things happening? Not as much as we like, because the fascists have changed their uh, colors as well. They've gone from being the, 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 the skinhead street hooligans to uh, suit-wearing, alt-right movement kind of uh, mm. a group. So they don't have that much of a street presence anymore. So as anti-fascists, it's hard to uh, have that street presence as well. Yeah. So that's changed as well a lot. Wow. Yeah, and what are what are you getting into now in uh, with in relation to animal animal ad advocacy? Well, of course, I'm still a vegan, and uh, mm. I will vegan propagandas uh, pr propaganda <laughs> myself everywhere I I, I go. Mm. And I'm a Buddhist. Um, mm. I try to, you know, inspire people through my Buddhism. 
to become uh, vegan or more of a intersectional person. Mm. And I still will write columns or, you know, will go to panel uh, meetings with uh, other activists and talk about uh, animal rights or anti-fascism. Mm. Yeah. Does it feel like there's still a community that you're a part of in terms of like a, either a vegan community or an animal liberation sort of community, even if you're not doing the frontline activism? Uh, not really, to be honest. It's more of a still an anti-fascist connection that I have with the German anti-fascists. Yeah. Because they're still old school uh, anti-fascists. Uh, in the Netherlands, I've really lost contact with uh, the movements because it's it, I don't think they're really there anymore. Mm. We're hoping that Kevin can stick around and we're going to try and chat about, I guess, what we think we can learn from this sort of history mm. and where things are at right now and mm. in terms of discussing those themes and ideas, what, what we can try and do to influence the movement in a better direction. Yeah, yeah. So, Kevin, do you want to announce your second song that you've picked out? It's called uh, Way of Life. It's by Dead Press, which is my favorite uh, hip-hop, vegan hip-hop revolutionary, but gangster mm. hip-hop uh, movement. <laughs> and, uh, we come in all shapes and sizes. Yeah, <laughs> we do. So, <laughs> uh, Wave Life is about uh, martial arts and um, how you can incorporate martial arts into your revolutionary life. of insight, the teachings, the lessons, the grappling and locking, trapping and boxing, the training and slacking, the starting, stopping and staying committed when your homies ain't with it, the hours of practice after the class is finished, the cause of your ignorance, flaws in your discipline, broken laws of nutrition and poor conditioning, the vitamins and supplements, salves and ointments, the tinctures, pool joints and doctor appointments, the do's, the pads, the wraps, the gloves, the mouthpiece you left home, the taste of your own blood, the hunger, the blocks, the punches, the squats, the crunches, the example you set for the youngsters, the will, the skills to kill or to heal, the separation between what's fake and what's real, the laws of physics, the class camaraderie, the vows of humility, the bow, the courtesy. What's doesn't mean you go out and attack someone, but you do have the right to defend yourself by any means necessary if you're in that position to defend yourself. It's time to speak up, speak out, and speak loud. From an idea born on a park bench outside Liberal Party headquarters, where hundreds of women told their stories of sexual violence, introducing Feminist Fridays. Join our open speaking circle to tell your story any way you want. A poem, a speech, or a dance. You can even yell it out in the direction of Parliament House because that's where we'll be, on the steps. Feminist Fridays, starting Friday the 30th of April at 12pm. Join us. It's time to unite, heal and take back our power. 
Feminist Fridays isn't just a protest. We are a non-hierarchical collective ready to destroy the patriarchy, starting with your voice. This event is taking place on stolen Wurundjeri land and voices of First Nations people are prioritised. Hosted by Loud, Angry and Not Sorry. A 3CR supporter. Goongaroo Environment Centre is a grassroots community organisation campaigning for East Gippsland's precious forests. For over 15 years we've been using direct action, citizen science and community engagement to stop the continued logging of precious native forests and threatened species habitat. After this summer's terrible bushfires, there's an even greater urgency to protect what remains, and the Victorian government haven't ruled out plans to log the small fragments of unburnt forests and so-called salvage log in burnt areas. It's now so important that forests and wildlife are protected so they can recover. Head to gecko.org.au to keep updated with the latest news and to get involved. Gecko acknowledges the logging is happening on the stolen lands of the Gunnakurnai and Bidwell and Monaro people, and that sovereignty was never ceded. A 3CR supporter. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to Freedom of Species. Me, Davita, and my co-host Trev are in the studio with Kevin Heller. And you just heard the song Way of Life by Dead Press. Um, we wanted to clarify a bit that I'm a bit afraid that we sort of collapsed single issue advocacy with legal above ground activists. Like, we don't want to oh, give the okay. impression that we all should be going underground and burn things down. Because, <laughs> you know, standing outside with banners for before an animal experimentation place is a really valid way of doing activism. Okay. So I, I want to see if we can find a way to sort of say... Clarify that. To clarify that we've... That we but what if I disagree with that? <laughs> <laughs> do you do, do you do, do you really disagree what, what, i yeah. do a bit yeah i think it's a bit mm. of a waste of waste of energy yeah so but i that, was going to say to reframe it if there are going to be those above ground things even if people disagree on the strategy that um it's important that they have a total liberation or consistent anti-oppression mindset with what they do so that they're not becoming single issue focused so it's like at least don't be a bigot you know don't be a fascist yeah. don't be a nazi like yeah. squash the the sexism and racism within your groups yeah not to cloud that together that we're trying to say that anyone who doesn't do illegal things is obviously yeah single issue focused and they're not yeah. they're not a real antifa they're animals. not or they're not a real activist like yeah. something i yeah yeah no 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 um, no that's true but i it's just something that i personally have problems with but mm. that's that's a different discussion yeah, but mm. but I am interested to hear. Yeah, where should our energy be focused towards? Like, why is it a waste of energy? We've done. There's been similar shows on freedom of species, so I do suggest listeners to go to our catalog because we have done quite a few uh, shows on consistent anti-oppression. Yeah, recently there's also been discussions about the use of language. Like, what sort of language are we using to talk about animal liberation? Um, for example using holocaust or slavery or rape um and so there's a lot of that's that's a reflection on the on the melbourne situation now in animal activism is that there's a, many divisions in what sort of activism is happening mm. um yeah and it's interesting to hear that there's already signs of that in the you know that was already happening in the uh, in the 90s in the beginning of the century so what where should we put our uh, where should we put what can we learn from this where should we put our our energy towards as activists shall we reflect on that is that a question for me well for all of us like yeah any callers no i'm joking <laughs> 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 yeah <laughs> well for me personally um i've always had problems with putting too much effort and energy in just protesting mm -hmm. with banners and flyers and handing out uh, information. It seems that it's more of a action for the group itself to feel better about what they're doing or where their, uh, where their political stance is. And I don't know the effectiveness of it towards the general public, especially if it's like at a primate research center that is in the middle of nowhere and then there's 20 people standing outside with a banner and nobody really sees it except for the people who work there and the police. 
So who are you protesting for? Are you protesting for the police? Uh, are you uh, telling animal test center uh, workers that they suck? Um, it's, it's for me, like, I think people should think about where to put the energy of their actions. And I think you need above ground animal rights activism, but I don't think that should be the goal just to be an activist with a banner. Mm. Mm. It's about speaking up to like all the other injustices as well. That uh, yeah. true, and it has to yeah. be. It has to be multidisciplinary. I think, yeah, yeah, definitely. I remember when I first got involved in activism around 2015 and 16. At first, I was thinking that strategy in terms of campaigns and different types of activism, whether it's legal or illegal, was the main consideration and exactly what you're talking about, you know, whether it's effective or not. But I had a bit of a change of mind when I, I guess I experienced firsthand um, how how bigots in the movement can really destroy a movement and can destroy groups. And apart from that, just that it's wrong anyway, like it's wrong to be um, giving tolerance to, to bigotry and and um, oppression within our own movement and in our own volunteer circles and organizations. And I realized that, yeah, to be consistent, we have to reject that and that that became my main focus. And I've become a lot more tolerant now than I used to be of, I guess, people's different activism styles, like what they think will be best, what they think is more effective. Um, because I guess now I, I learned that what really matters the most is as long as they're not being sexist, racist, fascist, whatever, assholes in the process, um, if they're doing something and they're still maintaining that respect and total liberation stance across, you know, multi-issues, then um, I feel like it's all somewhat better than if, if it wasn't, which I think is where we're at mm. at the moment. So I don't know, like, um, I was interested, I guess, what you think of that, Kevin, because like, um, you know, obviously you gave us the your thoughts on what's effective in terms of from a purely strategy point of view, but how does that rank for you in terms of importance as opposed to that total liberation mindset? Well, first of all, doing something is always better than doing nothing. Let's, let's, you know, make, make that clear that going out on the streets, even if it's just uh, standing or, um, with with a banner, of course, that's a lot better than doing nothing and eating meat uh, mm. or wearing a fur coat or whatever. And of course, you have to get rid of the 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 fascists and the Nazis and the bigots in your movement. I mean, I remember we had these protests against circuses, and that attracted a lot of fascists because um, that's sort of like uh, they could be anti-traveler um, mm. uh, racists in the in that uh. sense. So we had to first basically kick away the Nazis before we could go to the to the circus mm. to get into fight with circus people. So it was uh, it was always fun and the cops were always <laughs> kind of surprised like who's fighting who? There's like three <laughs> groups fighting uh, each other here. Um, but it's and I think getting rid of like sexism and racism in your movement is so important because it opens your mind to the idea that animals are also just the same as you are um we are all mm -hmm. the same beings we are all this the, the same creatures living on this planet and there's there's no difference between you and me and there's no difference between me and a dog uh, or me and a and a, and, and a mink um mm -hmm. so i i like the idea of like this total liberation that should be part of the, the entire movement yeah yeah so okay hypothetically we have gotten rid of bigoted people in the movement or we have at least committed to consistent anti-oppression what what would be a next step what 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 could be what could be a, a strategy to employ because i do i do think that yeah the the banners standing outside the visibility of the people standing up for animal activists that's that is so important because with your visibility come you make other people uncomfortable and that is something maybe that's just the first step to go to like making others uncomfortable in the choices they make i guess yeah for me it was always like um 
these protests were sort of like a a school for people to step over to illegal actions because they would get beat up by police and then they would uh, already mm. feel like legal illegal is sort of a interchangeable thing anyway because a legal demo uh, got beaten up just as much as an illegal <laughs> demo so um, it was yeah. sort of a, a training school for people to become more uh, uh, radicalizing to, yeah to radicalize to radical action um, yeah. and I don't know if that's still the thing so I, I'm not sure if 300 people with banners outside of a primate research center right now will have the same impact as it had when the illegal actions were also there as a sort of pressure on the other side of the uh, issue. I think you need both. Hmm. I think you need illegal and, and legal action because legal action without a threat of illegal action has no effect on the company itself because they can just ignore you. Mm. Yeah. And what like we're not we're not calling on people to start doing illegal actions now. Like that's that's something I want to <laughs> make clear. Um but there are like, there are different shades of legality and I know with maybe that's something like people citizens do get arrested. So what are the things that citizens get arrested for during actions in in Melbourne for example? One of the things I'm thinking of is um, with the duck rescue that is coming up, because uh, in uh, Victoria the duck hunting season will start again, May 26. Uh, coalition against duck shooting um, is is going to be active, and I've heard stories of people trespassing on property. That's one of that's one that's an illegal act. Um, mm -hmm. Trev, do you have do you? Can you have a bit of context here? Yeah, I know for for duck rescue, one of the big legal issues that comes up is what time certain people are allowed to be out on the water at the wetlands. Mm. Because if you don't have a gun license or a, a certain permit or something, then there are different time limits that the general public are allowed onto the water versus um, hunters with, with the right permits allowed on the water. So there are activists that actually get those permits mm. just so they can go legally out onto the water and be part of the, the duck sabotage or duck rescue mm. and try and scare away the ducks. But um, other things that are illegal with duck rescue, I haven't heard too much um, other than that that's been on the illegal side of things. Um, but obviously, like with, with lots of activism for what you were saying, I mean... There are things that people wouldn't consider to be horrible things that can be technically illegal and can get you into legal trouble, even just protesting on a road. Um, once you get a police direction um, that you have to move on um, at a certain point, and if you don't, you can be arrested. And that's, I guess, the whole idea behind nonviolent direct action is to resist that and to mm -hmm. do it in a nonviolent way so that it's it's technically illegal, but... We do that for marches all the time. We do mm. that for protests all the time. And it's just different people have different levels of where they're willing to draw their own personal line mm. before there's the threat of being arrested by yeah. the police. So, yeah, that's that's one of the things. With, because with the ALF, mm. if you hear about ALF stories, some of the actions sort of are quite impressive in, in their illegality. Um, but there's also different forms of illegality. That's that's good to hear that and um, that you can do. And civil disobedience... Um, is a key method of activists. Um, well, for example, forest squatter. Yeah, sorry. Uh, so now I have a funny anecdote about that. When I was in Oxford, um, it was there was uh, we had protests also like open protests on the street, um, and at some point they decided that anybody coming within five hundred meters of a building of the University of Oxford was. Uh, illegally on the streets yeah. turned out that the whole city of oxford is basically owned by the university which made it impossible <laughs> for you to go out on uh, the streets of oxford to protest yeah. so that's where civil disobedience comes in and then they started hanging out these banners uh the police would would put up flyers that said if you are part of an illegal underground organization you are not allowed to be here <laughs> when, <laughs> and we asked them like do you think we would tell you if we were part of an <laughs> illegal underground organization? And then they just said, like, well, we're the ones who decide whether or not you're part of an illegal. So 
at, there's a there's a point where you don't really care about it anymore what is mm. where that line is you know if you want to go uh legal illegal in germany they say legal illegal scheiß egal which means legal Ill- uh, illegal it's all the same shit anyway mm. <laughs> yeah and i think that's a good conclusion for this show is that the laws for the animals need to change Thank you, Kevin, for joining us today for a very contentious discussion. And um, if listeners have any comments or questions, then please get in touch with us through Facebook, Freedom of Species, or Twitter at FOS Radio. Following us will be Encyclopedia, the show dedicated to drug law reform activism. We're going to wrap up with a song by a local vegan, Kaisha Sprout, called Self Love. Think of all the love that you're giving. Can you say that you let the same in? If the answer is no, plant the seeds and watch it grow. Yeah, how does it feel when the love that you give makes someone so happy there? Head over heels. Now, how does it feel when you're down in the dirt and the love that you're giving is spent lifting others up by saying, Girl, you're looking really nice today. Sweet and spice today, magnificent in every way. Oh, girl, I wouldn't change a thing on you. Heavens would move earth for you. Self love, self love, self love, baby. So, why is it fine that the love that we give is okay for others, but we can't seem to let it in? And why should I hope for the love shot over me when I? can lift myself up just as easily by saying girl you're looking really nice today like sugar sweet and spice today magnificent in every way girl i wouldn't change a thing on you heavens would move earth for you self-love 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 baby All the love that you're giving Can you say that you let the same in? If the answer is no Plant the seeds and watch it grow Yeah, think of all the love that you're giving Can you say that you let the same in? If the answer is no Plant the seeds and watch it grow Say, girl, you're looking really nice today Like sugar sweet and spice today Magnificent in every way Yeah, every way Girl, I wouldn't change a thing on you would move earth for you Self-love, 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 baby You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.